Hello, and welcome to the Alt Left. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to episode 36 of the Alt Left podcast. As always, I am your host, Mailman Matt. With me is my co host, the beautiful Dr. Reverend K. Good evening, everyone. That's gone for one episode, and you've already fucking taken over. Yeah. <laughs> don't leave, bitch. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. Brit is far nicer than I am, but like, man. Quit having birthdays. I'm just saying, you could let the bed get cold. Jesus Christ. Nicer, I was, prettier, and smarter. Let's just, I was, let's I just was be re- honest. I was replaced like a grocery store checkout person. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and guess what? We got a lot of audience feedback. They like her better than you, too. They told us. Dude, I like her better than me. <laughs> I don't blame them one bit. <laughs> Brit, if you're listening, uh, get the hell away from my man, but I get it. I get it. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Alt Left Podcast. He's older, he's wiser, he's a little balder, the beautiful Chris. And uh still younger than Kay. Well, we're all younger than Kay. Seventeen <laughs> days. Who's not seventeen decades 17 younger than Kay? Days. Let's That's be right. real here. Kay was born and he was a hundred years old the next day. That's just how this went. That is also true. <laughs> so uh, today we're going to be talking about bipartisanship. Does it exist? Is it possible? Did it once work and does it not work now? Is it the future? Is what we should be going? Should we be duking it out? Should we be hugging it out? Where does this take us and where have we been? What do you boys think? Personally, I don't think that the left and the right have any common ground substantial enough to come together anymore. I do think there is a lot that we have in common. However, I think the things that divide us personally are too big and too important for us to just ignore, to come together on the grounds of something insignificant like, oh, hey, let's allow this state to do something that, you know, all other states do like I don't know, something like legalized marijuana. Like that's something the majority of this country is in favor for, even a lot of Republicans. And I don't think something is in, well, that's a good thing. I don't think that's the thing that we can just ignore things like, I don't know, equal rights and start hugging it out with racists, you know? Sorry, yeah. not going to happen. And well, and on top of that is, is in, and I, I agree with you on that point. I actually think it goes back farther. I don't think the left and the right have ever had enough in common. Let's be fair. I'm a communist, so I do believe that all of history is class struggle. Uh, and I, I, I'll fight anyone on that one. But the left and the right, literally, they have the roots in the French Revolution is where these terms even come from. Um, you know, left and right sides of the legislatures where people sat. And the left and the right have always been at odds. It has never been a slight differing of opinion. This is why we have revolutions. It's why we have wars. And it's, you know, again, it's why we have things like uh, slavery and it's why we have industrial revolutions and it's why we have peasant revolts. And I personally think that since the dawn of time, progressive and conservative viewpoints have their roots in resources. You tend to be on the right conservative, whatever you want to call it, side if you are either a capitalist, a monarchist, you know, someone who has money, means and or power or you are a toady of theirs who likes them being in power and the privilege you receive from them, or you hope to join those ranks eventually one day. But those are pretty much the only views that keep you in a conservative side is I either see myself as the person with the privilege and don't want to lose it, 
or I hope to put myself in the position to gain that privilege. And so therefore I shall support this system that I hope to eventually gain to my advantage. And you tend to be the, the far more you care about someone else and have empathy towards your neighbor and think about equal distribution of goods and wealth and power and equity in society, depending on how much you believe in those things and how much you make it less about yourself and more about other people tends to be how far to the left you are. Yeah. Yeah, disagree anyone agree no no, no i yeah. i completely agree so that's why i don't think there was ever a possibility for it there are examples throughout the united states history of a bipartisanship it does exist you know and just to be 100 percent sure uh, bipartisanship is defined as an agreement or cooperation between two political parties that usually oppose each other's policies so when we talk about it, we talk about liberals and conservatives here in the United States, because that's the two major parties, right? Even, you know, libertarians fall into uh, one of those two categories, typically the Green Party, all of those other parties that we had talked about. Bipartisan really only belongs in a two-party system, uh, like what we have here in the United States. If you are in a system that uh, has three or four equal parties, then the bipartisanship is less important. And it's in the name, bipartisan being, you know, two. But uh, it doesn't necessarily work in like parliamentary systems like what they have in Great Britain. They, they typically have less uh, difference between the parties. And here in the United States, the, that first example of bipartisanship uh, was way back in 1787 when uh, uh, what they called a Great Compromise. This was really the beginning of it. It started during the Constitutional Convention, uh, where the smaller states, they wanted equal representation to the larger states. Now, the larger states simply had more population, and those states thought that they should have more representation because they had larger populations, right? They argued about it for a while, and then this guy, Roger Sherman, it's also sometimes referred to as the Sherman Compromise, I think. Yeah, Correct? Sherman it, Doctrine, it is, right? It is, no, no, no. That's, the Sherman Doctrine that's, is very that's different. That's a completely th- different thing. Yeah, that is very different. That is uh, that is 20th century. Um, the Sherman Compromise is what gave us a bicameral legislature. Um, yeah. I'm crossing the two up. Thank you. Uh, exactly. They're both named Sherman, and it's also the coolest general we ever had, and our mediocre yeah. is tank. <laughs> So, but his suggestion was that we have a Congress that has two different houses. So we have the House of Representatives and the Senate. The House of Representatives, we have 400 and 500 something uh, representatives that are equally distributed throughout the states uh, based on population. And then we have the Senate for which each state receives two senators. Those two branches have a fairly equal uh, say in things in their respective branches, but it was still that same argument of, well, we want equal representation, and it just depends on how you define equal representation, because those larger states defined it as, well, equal representation means that we have more people, so we represent a larger population, that's equal. And the large, and the smaller states were like, whoa, 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 wait, I'm a small state and I don't have as big a population, but I deserve just as much voice as you do. So that's that's really the the start of it. We we don't see a whole lot of 
uh, bipartisanship shown in our government uh, for quite some time. You know, we start getting into the mid 1800s and then the mid 1900s, and then we start seeing a whole lot more. Bipartisanship isn't 100% accurate for everything. Well, and I don't think it's accurate for most things. I mean, going back to the Sherman Compromise, that was one of the things that doomed the nation. I do not think it was a good thing. And I think it's one of the things that has put us in the problems we have now. Yeah. Because that, we have a... That's why we've got mm-hmm. 33% of the country yeah. making decisions for the rest of us. Bicameral Agreed. legislature is stupid. And our, our Congress is set up after the English system, uh, which had two houses as well. They were bicameral. Um yeah, it, when it very first started, it was actually three. It was a tricameral system. They actually had a House of Lords, a House of Commons, and a House of Knights. Um, and the Knights ended up slipping into uh, the Commons eventually, um, and it became just two. And eventually the British realized that this was stupid because you ended up, again, having class conflict in your legislative branch. That's a problem. It means Parliament could not come to agreement because one house wanted a very conservative viewpoint because they were the lords and the landowners and the wealthy and the more common folk in the merchant class wanted things very differently. Obviously they were far less monarchical. And so they did away with it. They've, they still technically have a house of lords, but the house of lords is an advisory council at best. They serve no purpose. And the only thing, the only power they have is basically they can delay a debate uh, they can table, you know, when they can table a law being passed for like up to a year before they can be overridden. That's it. Like their their only powers they can throw a temper tantrum for a short period of time if they're completely united. Yeah, the House um, of Commons has much more power. It has overall. all the power. The House of Lords has no legislative power whatsoever. They cannot pass a single law. Period. They have no say in it. Um, yeah, it it literally it goes through the House of Commons. It goes to the House of Lords, and they basically sign shit into law because. They don't have any real power to stop it. Yeah, but now because of that, because of that, we now have this also bicameral system, but our Senate is actually the more powerful house, even though it does not speak for the people. The Senate, I believe, should have never been created. Uh, I think the Senate is an affront to democracy, and I think it should be completely abolished. I do not believe that a senator from fucking Montana or Delaware should be able to or carry Wyoming the, or Wyoming should carry the same legislative power as a senator from New York, Texas, California, um, states with massive populations, because at the end of the day, states aren't people. Yep. And I hate this idea that like, well, you know, it's, it's when the president's campaign, they go to Iowa first and has all this power. It's like, that's fucking stupid. We live in the 21st century. We don't need to run around on trains and campaign and hold elections at different dates. And we don't need to have a secondary house that represents the interests of sheep or potatoes or potatoes, whatever, whatever fucking you're thinking of Idaho. Yeah. Whatever agricultural (laughs) state you come from, but same thing. It's Idaho. It's Montana. It's North and South Dakota. These states have bullshit populations. There's 86 people and a handful of cattle and that's the state. And it yeah. shouldn't have this power. Yeah, Mitch McConnell's got all this power. He's the senator from Kentucky, which don't get me wrong. Kentucky does have a decent population. It does not have the population of Texas. Yet he has equal powers to senior senator from Texas. And that's horseshit. It should be gone. But because of that is why we actually have this absolute need for hugging it out and make, trying to make things work is because we have an obstruction house. Yeah, you talk about Kentucky, right? 4.46 million 
I, I, I live in a, a suburban. You live in the suburbs of Southern California. I, yeah, I live in the suburbs of Southern California, Los Angeles. And in the little town where I live, there are like 300,000 people. Uh, the state of Wyoming, the entire population of Wyoming uh, is 578,000. <laughs> Right. The entire state of Wyoming, there's 578,000 people. Right. So the little town that I live in has 300, roughly 300,000. So we're just more than half of, you know, in terms of population than Wyoming. And this is a single suburb of a state of a massive city in a state, like just a suburb. We're not talking about Los Angeles here. We're talking about a suburb way out of Los Angeles County like this. You you want to talk about Los Angeles? Los Angeles proper is 13 million people. Well, you want to talk about all of Southern California is like 28 million people. Well, I mean, even even on a county level, like Ventura and Kern County, they're not the biggest. Actually, Kern County is no. pretty big. Ventura is one of the smaller counties. No. Kern County is huge in terms of square miles, but there's not that many people that live there. There's still more than Wyoming, 900,000 in Kern County. Ventura County, which is one of the smallest counties in California, has a population of 846,000. It dwarfs the population of Wyoming, a single county in this state. Yet Wyoming, the people of Wyoming get to make decisions that override what the people of California want. Because they get two senators just like we do. It doesn't make any sense. It makes none, none whatsoever. And, and it's not democracy. And, and again, we don't live in democracy. I'm fond of pointing that out, that we live in a, a, a republic. And our, but our republic is even, we really live in an oligarchy. Damn, you're post-apocalyptic. But we are supposed to be a republic, and a republic is at least supposed to represent the general will of the people, even if it's different degrees removed of, of representation. That's what a republic is supposed to be. But because of, we have this two-house system, it forces – and I think that was kind of – I don't think that was the intention, but I think it's what a lot of people who are pro-bipartisanship will say – is that having this kind of obstruction system forces people to get along. It's kind of a Joe Manchin kind of line. Like, yeah. well, I'm not a Republican, but That's I think we shit. need to hold hands. Exactly. Um, and so they'll point out that this forces bipartisanship, which is the will of the people. It's like, it's not. The will no. of the people is how they're voting. Pull them. The will of the people is that Roe v. Wade is the law. End of story. The will of the people is that we need to change the Second Amendment. The will of the people is that we want universal health care. The will of the people is that we don't want to keep going to these forever wars. The will of the people is we want to end the war on drugs. This is what people want in America. But because we have a private party funded obstruction house, we don't get it. Yeah, completely. 100%. I think in times past... There were definitely more situations. I think there were, I think I agree with you a little bit, Kay. Like, you know, there were more situations that they could come together on where there was agreement, but that's just completely changed as time has gone on. And as you've seen, we have had an, we have had two parties basically controlling, vying for control of, of our Congress. Yeah. One of them in the in most recent years, as we discussed, Republicans have been an obstructionist party. Whenever they are not in power, all they want to do is block, block, block. They don't care what the legislation is. They don't care if it's good for their constituents. They're going to try and block it. Now, in, in response to that, the Democrats have played that game too, but they have now stepped it up because now they understand that they can't work together with Republicans because the Republicans have no interest in working together. In what and so way, now though? they're driving through things through. 
what makes you say that? Because I actually don't agree with you. Um, I think that's a on, tagline. On what part? I think Democratic voters and people in America, if that's what you mean, but I don't think Democratic lawmakers are catching that. So I, I, I disagree because a lot of the stuff that Biden has a- been able to get past, he's done through by going around Congress. Now, again, it's not like a bullying way, the, Repu- the way Republicans are doing it, but it's through like budget reconciliation and things like that. Mm-hmm. That's how he's pushing stuff through. I'm not going to say it's at the same level of Republican obstructionism, but I think on some level, as much as they want to have the whole touchy feely, hug it out and let's let's make bipartisanship happen, he's also got an agenda to push, and he's I think he's demonstrated through his actions because he's taken actions that Obama never tried to do to get stuff done. I still don't I don't think I don't find him effective. I'm not giving him props, but I'm saying I think Dems are going to slowly but surely keep coming around to this idea that if they want to pa- if they want to get their agenda completed, they're going to have to play a little bit of the game. And I think this term, we're seeing a little bit more of that than we have in the past. I would agree with that. Um, I think that you, you're right. Uh, that is fair. Um, they have gone through things like budget reconciliation to get certain things done. But it's like COVID relief packages, that kind of thing. It's like anything which is huge, don't get me wrong, but things that are fundamentally changed, like giving health care access, UBI, anything that, you know, student loan forgiveness, I mean, anything that he actually campaigned on and that voters actually really want. The only thing he's been willing to fight Republicans on is the emergency measures for COVID and passing his stupid fucking infrastructure bill, which don't get me wrong. I'm not saying infrastructure isn't important. People are dying. And he doesn't want to give us health care. People are dying from a pandemic and people are already being ripped out of their homes and thrown into the streets by sheriffs. Mm -hmm. And he wants to build bridges. And it's like, there's a time and a place, man, that that would have been fine years ago. But that's that's not where we are. And I'm not saying we should have infrastructure spending, but I would really like to see that be a second term issue. And I would like to see EMTs get paid wages like cops and firefighters get. Yeah. Instead, they get fucking parades and flyovers. And it's like, we we get this, you know, the people give all Trump all this shit for that. And it's like, what does Biden do? Biden said the same thing. You know, Biden came out and said, work or die. He he doesn't give a shit about anybody, about any essential worker or an American citizen any more than Trump did. Yeah, but that's kind of the point. I, I would say it's not from a lack of bipartisanship that these things aren't being done. It's because I leg- honestly believe that Biden has just as little interest in doing this as Republicans do. In fact, I think it's one of the few things they are agreeing on is I don't think Biden wants to pass any of these things any more than a Republican would. I, I don't know. I don't think I think things that are like super transformed, like debt relief and and UBI, he wouldn't do because Biden's a capitalist and a conservative. But I think there's a lot of things they would attempt to push through if it wasn't for the Republican bullshit game of obstruction. I mean, student loan forgiveness could have been done through executive order. He refuses to do it. Yeah, true. Again, like I said, the the big, the super leftist issues Biden won't do because Biden's a conservative. You know, but Biden is a Republican from 30 years ago. But things like uh, minimum wage increases, that kind of thing, Biden won't even fight for. And I think if like we didn't have a Republican-controlled Senate, they would attempt to push that through. Common sense budgetary measures. I think the Democrats would try, but they don't because they recognize the game that's being played. And so they don't even want to risk everything else. And they play it safe all the time. And that's where bipartisanship gets us is, 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 is 
you get the Republican Party taking a step back and saying, meet me in the middle, then jumping back and saying, meet me in the middle, then jumping back and saying, meet me in the middle. And the Democrats fall for it every time. And sure, again, we've, we've gotten a couple of workarounds, but you can't tell me that we don't have a long history and continues to this day of the DNC trying to have good faith with the, with the GOP, even though everyone knows it's the stupidest thing to do ever. Yeah, so I agree with you to a point. I think 50 years ago that we had a lot less difference between the two ideologies between the Democrats and the Republicans. I 50 think years that, ago, we were in the midst of the Vietnam War, and there was a huge ideological conflict between the Democrats and the Republicans. Yeah, but I don't think it was as great as it is today. I think that that gap, as time has gone on from 200 years ago, uh, continues to get wider and wider. And people have figured out how to manipulate the system so that their ideology beats out the other. So I think we see less and less actual bipartisanship and we see more and more dissent between the two groups. Yeah, I mean, I guess I guess it has increased. Just seems like those those staunch ideological differences have changed over the years and that they have definitely widened to me. Yeah, I I don't think you're wrong. I would say the gap has widened, um, but I think. In, in terms, I think for everything that matters, the fact that there is that unbridgeable gap is is the problem. Kind of like Matt, you know, Matt was talking about earlier is, is there a common ground and can we bridge that gap? And I just, I agree with you, Kat. I do think it has widened over the time, over the time but I think it's always been an unbridgeable gap. I, I think it is an unbridgeable gap. Absolutely. I don't think that those ideologies can coexist uh, together effectively. One of the reasons I think that gap has actually widened is because all kinds of people who weren't active in the political process are now. It's true. Equal rights movements in general have, have are progressing at a faster pace than they ever have. I mean, we're still fighting the civil rights movement from the 60s. Um, but when you compare that to, let's say, like, you know, uh, gay rights, for instance, they got a lot farther, a lot faster than I think, you know, uh, black people did. The trans movement is in the middle of something similar right now. And so I think people are understanding not only that you need to get politically active in order to affect this change, but that you, but how to get politically active in order to affect this change. And I think that's a part of the reason why you've got people terrified, especially middle class to rich white people, absolutely shitting bricks because everything that isn't them is getting just as much power as they are. And making things work for all of us as opposed to just them. And I think they can't take it. You know, that's where a lot of this fear comes from. This That's where a lot of this hatred comes from. This idea that they will no longer be the chosen <laughs> rulers of the United States scares the shit out of them. And so they will do anything they can to stop it. And I do think that most of the ones driving these narratives against people of color, LGBTQ communities, um, pretty much any, anything you can think of, whether it's immigrants, whatever. I think the ones at the head of this absolutely know what they're doing and they're using, you know, hate and fear to manipulate their base into going along with it. Yeah. Uh, again, you're, you're not wrong whatsoever. As you see oppressed people's becoming active, gaining rights, that kind of thing, it is always going to scare the absolute white titties off of the privileged class every time. 
You leave my white titties alone. <laughs> Never. One of the reasons why I don't think also there is a future for this because we don't even have two slightly different parties. We have a conservative party and we have a nationalist party, you know, and they're completely aligned, even though they disparage each other. Right. Because at the end of the day, our Republican senators. Now, there are crazy pants ones like Marjorie Taylor Greene. Don't get me wrong. They're there, but they're the minority of the party. Do you honestly think that most Republican representatives are actually anti-choice? Do you actually think? Yeah, exactly. Do you think they're ravenously pro-NRA? No, it's where the checks come from. Yeah, of course. They're going to be aligned with whoever sends the check. Exactly. And so is the DNC. So then that begs the question. If they're so aligned, why is bipartisanship such a hard thing? Um, these guys get their bread and butter from, again, we talked, we've covered this in previous episodes are basically saying, I'm not that guy. You know, if K is our voting base and you and I actually are both being paid off by the same people and we are trying to fuck over the same people for our own personal gain, the only way we can try to get K's vote is I can say, Hey, you know, say what you will, but at least I'm not Matt. That guy wears tank tops during a podcast. You don't want that. And Matt can be like, well, you know what? At least I don't have fucking gigantic, obnoxious headphones on during podcasts. That is also true. And Kay can make his choice based on those issues. And we can make propaganda based on those issues. You know, both parties are aligned with banks, private prisons, the military industrial complex, and Wall Street. These guys are paid for by the same banking industries and war profiteers. Biden's a perfect example, right? He's well past his 100 days. Uh, everyone's like, give him a chance, give him a chance. It's like, I mean, well, okay, but, you know, we're, we're beyond half a year now at this point. And he's already bombed Syria twice. He's raised tensions with China. He's, he's gone back on campaign promises like student debt relief, like Matt talked about earlier. Getting generic uh, COVID information for poor countries that can make their own vaccines. He campaigned on that one. But of course, once Pfizer and the pharmaceutical industry had an issue with that, Biden backs down because the DNC is bought and paid for just like the Republicans. Cuba, you know, we, oh, we're going to just we're going to get rid of the stuff that Trump did. Well, you know, Uncle Joe is increasing sanctions in violation of the U.N. Remember, remember when Trump moved the embassy uh, from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem and in a big giant fuck you move to Palestine? I do. And, and everyone said it was a combo of, you know, Western imperialism and it was a giant anti-Islamic move, which it was. But but what's Uncle Joe done about that? Nothing. Not he's kept thing. it there. Not a goddamn thing. He's he's done this. He's kept Trump's move in there. And, and what pol- what meaningful police reform, guys, have we gotten since the Democrats have taken office? There there hasn't been any, to be honest. The entire nation was in the streets over the death of George Floyd. What the fuck has Biden done other than be like, well, Congress should do something, and I think it's sad and it hurts my feelings. What has he done? Not a goddamn thing. Nothing. Thoughts and prayers. Yeah. So this is why the two parties are aligned, because the things that actually matter towards American citizens and our lives and well-being, they're both against them. One, one party campaigns on white nationalism, imperialism, and oligarchy, and, and the other one campaigns against it. The Democrats say those things are bad, but every single time push comes to shove, they bow out and support oligarchy, white nationalism, and imperialism. Every time. Every time. You know, uh, look at the border tension. I mean, that was one of Trump's 
biggest issues. You know, his wife showed up with a jacket saying fuck Mexicans and and Trump went to the border and <laughs> and you know, oh my god, they're killing people and they're detaining people and and they're doing all they're separating children and people are dying and no one's going to recognize it. Okay, cool. And it's been 8 months. What you done, Joe? What's he done? Nothing. Not a goddamn thing. And he can change this. You know, he wants to talk about like we need to we need to fight for America's soul. Well, you know, executive order, he can get rid of our torture facility in Guantanamo Bay at the snap of a finger. We can stop having a, an illegal torture run facility where people have been sitting there for over a decade with not a single charge being filed against them. We've just kidnapped people because they're Muslim in foreign countries and held them while we've tortured and denied them their basic human rights, taken people away from their families on suspicions, and we don't even file charges against them. We just hold them and tell everyone to go fuck themselves and they have a problem with it. Sounds about right. Biden has kept that going. Biden has decided that's a good thing to happen. The Democratic Party doesn't have a problem with it. I mean, the squad has, has tweeted a little bit. It's about it. They haven't done anything. Every time push has come to shove... The squad has bowed out and kissed Nancy Pelosi's ring every single time. And then I, I personally think the two things that are the biggest failures of this try for bipartisanship is healthcare. Why the fuck don't we have healthcare? We just went through a global pandemic. If there was ever a time where people across the country could recognize the need for every American to have healthcare, this would be it. Joe Biden talked about it, didn't do anything. He hasn't even attempted. Why is he on TV every single night? You know, at least FDR had the balls to have a radio broadcast once a week where he told people, hey, guys, this is a problem and we need to do some shit. He got the public on his side. Why isn't Biden doing that? He says these things are important to him, but he doesn't care. He wants to put your kids back in school, whether or not it's safe. He wants you to go back to work, whether or not it's safe. He wants you to go back to work at a shit job, whether or not that'll actually pay your rent. That's what Biden wants from you. That's what the Republicans want from you, too. I'm not just shitting on Joe Biden. This is what Democrats and Republicans want from you. You are to return back, pull your levers, push your buttons, make the green line keep going. That is your entire job, and we don't fucking care if you die. So then I got to ask the question, how do we fix it? Revolution. I mean, it really is that simple. We, we literally need to overthrow capitalism in this nation. It's the only thing that's causing this. I know that sounds like hyperbole, and I was going to go, oh, well, you always say revolution. It's like, well, fucking, I don't know what you want from me, dude. Like, you keep showing up with a fucking infection, with a bacterial infection. I keep telling you to take some goddamn penicillin. And the situation is continuing. Your leg is smelling worse every day. And I keep saying, you know, some antibiotics would really help that out. And you're like, ah, it's kind of hard. And people might get hurt. And I don't like it. That makes me scary. So I'm going to, I'm going to eat more chicken soup. And it's like, all right, go for it. But, until you take your antibiotics, oh well, now your leg fell off. Okay, well now the gangrene's moving into your hip. You should probably, you should probably take some some fucking antibiotics. No, no, it's, that's that's too radical. I don't want to do that. All right, well, it's gonna move into your heart eventually. Oh, look, it's in your brain, and now Nazism doesn't seem like a bad idea. Like, it, how far do we go down this rabbit hole, guys? Capitalism is the thing that is causing this. So right now, in America, we have more empty homes then we have homeless people. What do we have? We have a housing market that is out of control where everyone is getting completely ripped off and paying $10,000, $20,000 over an asking price for a house. We have rent that is through the fucking roof on any apartment or anywhere if you can't afford to buy, which is higher than most mortgage payments in a lot of places. And while this is going on, while we have the banks making a fucking fortune on this, what do we have? Oh, the eviction moratorium has ended. 
Now, we're told the eviction moratorium ends because a lot of people are back to work, but what about the debt they've incurred in that time? You're telling me if someone was out of work for six months, someone who was living paycheck to paycheck already, spent six months not knowing how they were going to feed their family, you think they were banking rent money? No. People went broke. They owe thousands of dollars in rent that they cannot repay. And so what's happening? August 1st, the moratorium ended. Some people have already been evicted uh, because it's county by county now. In Montana, uh, there's one case I have here, uh, Missoula County Sheriff's got to work immediately. Tuesday morning, they were dragging families out into the street in Montana. And, and what happened? Well, the, the, you know, finally, enough people camped out and screamed and yelled, and we got a new extension. But the new extension is only in fast-spreading COVID variant areas. That's the, that's, that is the terminology from the CDC and the White House, fast-spreading COVID variant areas. So not only just COVID, it has to be a variant area. You have to be getting the fucking Delta variant in your city. Uh, j- just so you know, that that was done on purpose, Chris. That applies to pretty much the entire United States. But it doesn't. No, There's no, all kinds it, of counties. It, it absolutely does. No, the, the moratorium is creating all kinds of geographic boundaries for evictions, depending not on who's in need, but on whether or not how fast the how fast I, I, I am I am not saying that that is not happening. What I am saying is the way this this extension was written up was specifically so that the law could be applied to all the United States because Delta variant is the primary de- variant in all of the U.S. It is, but by basing it on the Delta variant, you are saying that only counties that have the fast pace spread, the fast spreading COVID variant, you are covered and anywhere where the spread is considered moderate it's not fucking covered there's actually cases in wisconsin michigan pennsylvania and new york are the states that have the most checkerboard counties you have counties that are next to each other border each other where one is protected from eviction and one is not littered throughout their states the question then comes again how do we do this how do we fight things like landlords how do we revolutionize how do we come together and i think one of the things that you you've mentioned previously is tenants unions, you know? Yeah. And, and tenants unions are one of the best ways to really fucking stick it to the man. If you're a renter, I remember early in the podcast, we, we had someone asking like, well, how do I really start getting involved in this kind of stuff? And I need all my listeners to really hear when I say this is not coming with any condescension whatsoever, but get off your ass. That really is what it comes down to. I am a straight, cisgendered, middle-aged white man. I did not get dropped into a basket of wokeness in the middle of Inglewood. No, no. I came and I found people. I gave a shit enough. I went to enough marches. I started talking to people in leftist organizations. I found out some of them were garbage. And I found out some of them were wonderful. And some passed me literature and some tried to get me involved in cults. And it's a long fucking journey. But do it. When there's a march in your area, do it. Check out if you live in a major city. Check out the Answer Coalition. They're in every major fucking city. Check out the Socialist Rifle Association. Even if you don't want to talk about guns, they're gonna going to their Instagram pages and their Twitters will link you to other leftist organizations. Check out Black Lives Matter in your city. These are cellular organizations. Now, true, are there a handful of cops and FBI informants in them? Absolutely. I would not go out there and give any information you don't want to be public knowledge. Because there are pigs in the meetings. You won't know who they are. 
but it doesn't matter because 95% of the people there will be leftists who give a damn. These will be people you can network with, people you can talk to, people who are going to take you to rallies, people who are going to teach you how to put a gas mask on, people who are going to teach you how to keep yourself safe when shit goes down. And if you're having trouble in your apartment complex, if your landlord is a slumlord, or if you're facing evictions, organize with your fellow members. Keyword, if there isn't keyword organized, you can do that in so many different ways. That is revolution. Remember, you're not the only one that lives there. Everyone lives under those same conditions in that same place. Yeah. And do not do it on Facebook. You can make a group on Facebook so we can get each other's contact info, but meet up with them in person and then download apps like Signal or WickerMe, where these are encrypted apps, which don't get me wrong. We're about to lose encryption in the world and quantum computing is about to be a thing and there will be no more secrets ever, but that's not here yet. And in the meantime, you still can't eat your landlord. And the way to do that is by getting these encrypted apps and talking to each other on them and getting your tenants in your apartment building and in your neighborhood. Again, I don't know where you live or what's going on, but there are cities where this is happening here in the LA area in Southern California. I know personally that Santa Ana has one of the most active and amazing leftist tenant unions where they basically will show up to each other's homes and apartments and fight Cops and repo men and keep each other safe from getting thrown into the street. And all you have to do is care enough about it. Follow these guys, talk to these guys, get involved. And when the time comes, get off your couch and go and be part of the solution. And that's how it is. And again, I, I, I want this to, to not sound accusatory. Most people don't want to do this. Nobody wants to do this. Again, I am I am one of the more active people in, in my friend group. And even I, God, God, you know, there's a new thing going on. I'm like, fuck, I've gotten old and I'm old and fat and bald. And do I, do I really need to go marching four miles? Like this is, this is a 20 year old's game. It's like, no, no. Cause you know what? This is fucking everyone's game because I go there and I see 75 year olds in fucking wheelchairs giving a shit. And at the end of the day, this is everyone's problem, but that's what it takes is you need to look up tenants unions. You need to unionize your workers. You need to talk to your coworkers and form a goddamn union if your boss sucks. Because let me tell you something. You work for a tiny company. There's only 20 of you. But if your boss is doing shit like editing your timesheets and taking away your days off and not paying you overtime, let me tell you, a company that only has 15 employees will go bankrupt when you strike for three days. The smaller the company, people think it's the harder to unionize. It's the easiest way to unionize. The bigger the companies, when it's harder, unionizing Amazon or Walmart is a pain yeah, in the ass. Small companies don't have the infrastructure to rapidly hire people to replace you nope. off right off the bat. Amazon's got a fucking HR department in every goddamn state. Like, they're going to find people to replace you. But fucking Joe Schmo's package delivery service, that fucker ain't going to be able to fix that. You want to know the safest, smallest form of revolution you can possibly do in the workplace? Tell everyone how much you make. Everyone. Yeah. Have meetings about it. Talk to each other. Show each other your paychecks. We, we've we been lied to in this it country. It is protected by laws that says that your information, your how much you make is not a secret. Your employer will tell you that it's a secret and that no one else should know. But that is not true. Absolutely. Uh, I actually used to work for Life Alert a uh, long time ago as an emergency dispatcher. That is also a terrible capitalist company. And I have no problem talking about them on the air. I'm not going to spit anything that is not absolutely true. I once left a pay stub on my desk and I was told by a supervisor, you probably shouldn't leave that around because you make a little more than some of your other coworkers do and they'd be upset. And I said, well, you know, sometimes they get forgetful. It happens. They will. Yeah, but you need to not. That's that's policy. And I was like, can I get that in writing? And sure enough, they didn't have anything because that's illegal. 
you should tell everyone how much you make because this is how you find out that black people and women aren't being paid the same for the same fucking job. This is how you find out that some intern who had a decent connection or is super ginger white is making $3 more than someone who's been doing the same job for four years who has a little more melanin. That's how you find out. Tell everyone how you work. Encourage that shit. When HR tells you you shouldn't do that, ask him for that policy and writing to be given to you. Watch how fast that fucking conversation changes. And that's why unions are fucking amazing, man. Like, I'm in a union right now. Literally everyone a part of our union, our job titles and what we make are fucking public. Anybody right now can go to the County of Ventura website. Find If they know my job title, you can learn exactly how much I fucking make. And everyone in my office makes the exact, well, there's going to be differences because we're guaranteed raises every single year. So somebody who's been there for three years is going to make more than I do just because they've gotten more raises than I have. Yeah, but it's pay on a scale. Yeah, and there's a cap. We're all eventually going to reach the same cap. Yeah, it, it it starts at X number of dollars and ends at X number of dollars. And if you do the same job for 20 fucking years, you're only going to make X number of dollars. But what Chris was saying holds true. If I, I'm allowed to share my pay with somebody else, there are... Th- Four girls in my office that have the exact same job title as me, they all started before I did. If I share my paycheck with them and they're all making less than I am, that's a big fucking problem. Absolutely. And this is where it starts. But that's only the start. And that's what I say when we need fucking revolution is not to just do this. We need to talk about our pay. We need to unionize workers. You need to join tenants unions. But you also need to be willing to throw cans of fucking soup at people who are trying to drag some poor fucking single mother out of her house into the street. Because, again, what's going to happen to them? They're going to die. That's the end of the story. And, and, And one day it'll be you. If you what you might think you're safe, you have a good social safety net. What if something happens? Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people who are homeless in America who just simply their social safety net fell through. You know, they had less friends after a while, and then there were several unexpected deaths in their family. And sure enough, then when shit went bad for them, they had no cushion to fall on. That should not happen in a wealthy industrialized nation. And it doesn't need to happen. It's willful. This country is willfully letting you die and be thrown into the street so that other people can make more money. You need to do more. Everyone, get involved. Go talk to BLM. Go talk to your local socialist organizations, not the Democratic Socialists of America. They're garbage. Go talk to Answer Coalition. Talk to union leaders. Talk to anyone, but get involved. Go to meetings. Go to places. Find out who's right for you and start linking together. Amen, brother. And then eat your fucking landlord. Yep. You know what's a nice, uh, good union job? Being a mailman. Mailman Matt, what do you got for us? Well, I got something special for you guys. Um, I've been trying to be, as you know, engaging our listeners every week on you know, certain topics and things like that. And this time around, since I knew we were recovering this, I posed a poll question to them. Is there room for common ground for the left and the right, or have their ideology split so far that there's no longer any place for compromise? I gave three response questions, possibilities. So it was A, no room for compromise, B, plenty of ground, uh, common ground, or C, it's not that simple. And overwhelmingly, they all chose it's not that simple. Uh, I asked people to give their comments below. Only one person actually commented, um, but it's our old friend uh, from the South, Basehead Faye, and I, I liked her comment, so I thought it was worth a shout out. So uh, in response, she said, so this is complex. Uh, I'll try to fit this into the character limit, but if the right had based itself on actual policy of small government, then you could seek common ground. But the right has lost its sight 
to reach common ground on. Joe Biden is literally building the wall, which they've been chanting for years, and they still hate him. Joe Biden is doing the right's literal bidding, and they're uh, still unhappy because they just, uh, they're just the party of contrarianism. So she puts a lot of emphasis on blaming the right for that. But I think she also is one of the people that voted for the option of it's not that simple. So I think what I'm getting from from our old friend Basehead Faye is that she thinks kind of similar to what we do, that they're they're basically the same thing, but because it's become this almost institutionalized idea of just rejecting anything, that the right especially is just going to reject anything, even if it's their own ideas, just because it comes from the left or the perceived left. What do you guys think? Uh, I, I don't think she's wrong um, per se. Like I think that a lot of what she said was correct. And that is a good assessment from the right. I think she fails to make the same assessment to the left that something we kind of said already, they are run by private prison banking, corporate military industrial interests. And both parties are set to hate each other and not work together. And that is how they gain power and votes. The rift between them benefits them. So no, I don't even think it's about common ground. I think it is literally both parties existing to contrast the other and gain power from that contradiction. I kind of agree with that. When you look at the uh, the people that have been elected to these positions, uh, they have a vested interest in continuing the, the dissent between the average person. And that dissent between the average person is what keeps the country at large from from really coming together. So I think it is kind of more complicated, but then again, it's, it's not. If, if you know what to look for, you can see it. Uh, last one I've got for you guys today. Quick one from our new listener that we, Chris, you, I don't think have listened to the full episode yet, but we have a new listener who's been blasting through our entire catalog of episodes and is commenting us almost every time she gets to a new one. Uh, her name is Kaylee. My mom is so sweet. Nope. This Hi, girl's Kaylee. This girl's name is Kaylee. Uh, and so she had a question, um, which Kay, this is going to fall on your feet. Uh, Ooh. This is a comment that she left us back on the th- third. Uh, is that a cat I hear? What is their name? Please tell them that I love them. And I believe the cat she's been hearing is Chris's cat six. Uh, actually, uh, I that guarantee was, that was Ollie. I think. Yeah, that was actually uh, my partner's cat, Ollie, who is such a screamy boy. I have a quiet, demure, tiny, itty bitty little cat that is just an attention whore, and does all kinds of things wrong, but does it very quietly and cute. And my partner has a cat that is a professional yodeler. Uh, a nocturnal professional yodeler and has been a bad influence on mine and so now even my cat has started to scream um so this has now become the house of cat screams so 75 percent chance it is the chonky one who screams at the top of his lungs or there is a quite possibility that it is my tiny little tabby who is doing her best Ollie impression. So, so it's probably okay. one of my two loud, noisy cats. Kaylee, I, I tried to edit all of that out. It just <laughs> can't be done. No, no. Um, one of them will go into the hallway and forget where they are and start screaming. I and did respond to her. I did tell her that I thought it was probably six. And she did respond to that. She's like, six has ideas. Let Comrade Kitty speak. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Uh, as usual, Kaylee, 
as I said last time, I should say, thank you so much for, for all of your engagement. It's great to have you as a friend of the show. I just wanted to, while we're doing shout outs, give a special shout out to Britt's father, Cedric. He has been signed up for the Socialist Party of the United States. And uh, I've been hearing that many donations in his name are going to multiple communist causes in both Cuba and Venezuela. And I just wanted to welcome our new comrade, Cedric, to the fold. Oh, that's so good to hear. Cedric, I'm glad you finally embraced the left and are listening to your daughter. Oh, it does my heart good. Thanks, Cedric. And ladies and gentlemen, that is Matt's mailbag. Chris, take us home, buddy. Mm, Favorite sack in the whole world. So thank you for everyone for listening to our rants. Uh, Remember, eat your landlord and talk to each other. Unionize, be part of this. We are going to be back in your ear holes next week. We're going to talk about some pinko nastiness. This has been coming for a long time. Matt has been frothing at the loins. And yes, I want you to bask in the mental image I just gave you. Frothing at the loins? Absolutely. It happen. It's how happening. Do, how does one froth at the loins? Oh, Matt, drop your camera down and let KC. It's a beautiful sight, sir. Oh, it's like the sun setting between the Alps. It's amazing. I'm afraid. It's oh, you will you will weep with joy. But I have, because ladies and gentlemen, next week we are talking about communism and socialism. Mm-hmm. That's right. The Alt-Left podcast is going pinko commie scum full on, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, yeah. Me and Britt's dad's favorite political stance is coming on display. We're going deep diving into this shit. We're going to talk to you guys about everything, what it is, how it started, where it comes from, why you need to get on some of that shit, and why we think it's the way we need to go in the future. And how we can finally radicalize Kay. <laughs> We're going to get a Campbell's soup can in your hand one way or another. Do I do I get to eat soup? Because I like soup. Oh, don't worry. They'll throw it back. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, join us next week, everyone. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being here and filling your roles with us. Uh, We will be here, and we can't wait to see you again. So, from Matt, Kay, and myself, until then, take care of yourselves, take care of each other, and remember, eat your landlord, because the revolution is you. 